0: 90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science.
1: Hey, Shannon, how are you?
0: Uh, doing pretty well.
1: How about yourself? I'm, I'm also doing pretty good. Uh, it's been marginally warmer, which has been nice. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, but still crummy weather.
0: Still crummy weather. I will say the marginal warmth has caused my chickens to start laying eggs again, and I'm very excited about that.
1: Oh, nice, nice.
0: <laughs> yeah, because apparently they're real fickle little girls. Um, mm-hmm. We put a golf ball in there to try to get them to like lay, and so we got an egg today for the first time in a couple of months, and there was much rejoicing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, yeah crappy weather there's been some crazy stuff happening um yeah well
1: and you know it's the end times because we know (laughs) how crazy i am about backups oh no and i almost lost (gasps) a decade worth of stuff
0: (gasps) what
1: (laughs) i thought it was gone for a period of several days
0: several days yeah oh that had to be very dark for
1: you. It was. so.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: I, I have about six terabytes of data, photos, videos, stuff from my PhD, all my class notes ever, that kind of thing.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Archived on a raid. Okay. And the idea was the data. So I like triple redundancy, right?
0: Okay. Uh-huh.
1: The data are there. Yes. One. The data that that RAID has multiple drives and it can sustain the failure of any drive.
0: Okay. And right. my data
1: are safe. Two. That system was supposed to back up to an off-site repository every night. Three. Oh my gosh. Okay, so. I go back one day, and I need to get some data off this. It's all very deep storage type data.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, pictures from 2014. Yeah, stuff you're not BIAX working experiments with. experiments from Penn State from 2013, that kind of thing. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I need a tax document from 2015. Oh, seriously? Seriously.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, so I, I go to get that. And I can't get on to the raid. Okay, so I go back to the server rack, and the lights are out on it. (gasps) Hmm, okay. No problem. No reason to
0: freak out. It's supposed to be off-site storage, too, right? Well, not
1: only that, like, why are the lights out? Mm -hmm. Oh, well, the power supply is dead, and from reading online, this is a fairly common thing. Okay. So I order another power supply. Power supply comes, plug it in, turn it on. All the lights start blinking. I try to log on and it's greeting me with a message like, hi, welcome to your Synology raid. It's like, ooh, what? And I get stuck in what I learn is a very botched upgrade that it was trying to do between version six and version seven of their software. And a bunch of people got stuck in what was called a migration loop.
0: Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh.
1: So then I'm like, okay, no problem. It costs me about $200 to have the data put on hard drives from my offsite storage place and sent to me. And once it's here and I verify the data is on those, I'll wipe this and I'll just start over again. No big deal. All of the offsite backups were corrupt, <gasps> they could not recover. Usable files. The files were there. We could see the file listings. But any time that we recovered anything from the off-site backup, it was corrupted.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: So, I'm now unhappy with Synology for putting me in this migration loop. And I'm very unhappy with my offsite backup company, who I will remain, leave nameless, <laughs> for somehow storing and charging me for storing six terabytes of data for several years. Yeah. That apparently has been corrupted at some point.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: So through many, many, many hours with Synology tech support and some very nail-biting, like, okay, proceed, (laughs) we were able to rebuild the volume by using some extra hard drives and some crazy recovery procedures. Oh,
0: my gosh. So is this company having to do this for everyone, then? Or does not everyone get stuck in the migration loop? Is this just a random thing that happens?
1: Uh, not everyone got stuck. A lot of people did. And a lot of people who weren't as comfortable working with command line just lost everything.
0: Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh,
1: so, anyway, I'm, I've got my data. I've copied it to another drive. And I think I'm going to mostly store it in the cloud, in, like, Google Drive.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is so terrifying. I don't think I but I only took like four breaths that entire <laughs> six minutes we were talking about. That. But yeah,
1: three oh three God. ways, three things that had to fail, and it was razor thin edge all, of getting all that data back. All
0: of them. Oh my goodness. So are you not going with off site storage anymore? Just all cloud.
1: Well, so I'm going to have cloud, and I think I'm probably going to have a local backup of the cloud
0: mm-hmm.
1: that is, like, every year I just dump my cloud storage
0: mm-hmm.
1: to a drive. Yeah. And I rotate that drive. You know, I have three or four of those, so every three or four years I nuke the oldest one.
0: Right, exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh. I mean, yeah, it's a lot to download. Like, six terabytes is a lot of bandwidth, but I have broadband.
0: Yep. Is what it is. Oh, my god! Is
1: what it is. The future is stupid.
0: (laughs) That's so terrifying. I contemplate frequently um, digitizing my photos since I'm old enough to have quite a few boxes of photos, Um, and then just getting rid of them, and I don't know, and then I'm like, oh, maybe not, oh, maybe not.
1: Well, and I might, might, like I already have this very expensive piece of Raid equipment and now it's working again. And it had worked flawlessly for five years before this. Yeah, which is great. Like, so I'll probably back up a lot of stuff to it.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: But at at the moment, I am just in the mode of get things off of it, get it somewhere else. Uh And also just massively paring down, like... I don't need – there were copies of, like, my TSA pre-check application from 2017.
0: (laughs) So that was part of my sabbatical. Like, I don't even remember. It might have been one of my – I think it probably was one of my um, resolutions for last year. But part of what I wanted to do for sabbatical was get rid of the digital redundancies and – it's a massive job.
1: It is. Well, and I found I had um four copies of a 400 gig data set.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: In different folders. Yeah,
0: see? That's my my files, as you know, are, you know, bytes of data. <laughs> I don't even know if they're kilobytes of data. Thank goodness. So I can't imagine having a PhD's worth of data that takes up any space that's a lot of stuff
1: yeah like well there's a terabyte off my storage quota right there
0: (laughs) just for the four copies oh man yeah it it gets messy like i wonder if there's like a digital organizer we could talk to on the show that'd be interesting
1: yeah that would be
0: like what do you do you know like all my photos are digital now but no one's looking at them you know what do you what do you do with all this stuff it's weird
1: yeah Mm -hmm. but so you know i I was already thinking that it was the potential end of the world with that happening Mm -hmm. and then uh friday night (laughs) (laughs) i'm i'm lying in bed And had actually just recovered that data that afternoon. Oh, mm-hmm. And it was, it was sitting out here merrily uploading.
0: <laughs>
1: and I heard... We were expecting some storms. And I heard what sounded like a a gust front.
0: hmm
1: And I was like, that's early. It's not supposed to be here yet. And then our bathroom door started rattling, and I very quickly realized it was an earthquake.
0: Uh-huh. So this is the start of our new segment of the show called Definitely Panic. (laughs) Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that was suggested by listener Ian. And, I mean, there's a lot to definitely panic about. And we thought, well, this would be an interesting thing to do if we have anything significant happen. And then Ian's comment sat there for quite a while. And now we have these atmospheric rivers in California, which we're not even going to talk about today. And then, yeah, this earthquake Again in Prague, Oklahoma. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so uh, about eleven twenty-four local time at night, uh-huh. we had a magnitude five point one.
0: Right. Um, and so this is a replay of a magnitude. What what was the final magnitude on that? Was five three?
1: 5'7 Five, seven Five, seven. Okay, it was a big
0: one. Yeah, in 2011 on the sa- in the same area. Um, and so we've been ramping up, <laughs> interestingly enough, because just north of, so Prague is in, you know, it's in between Tulsa and Oklahoma City, basically. And north of Norman, where I am, so in Edmonds, so just to the west of Prague, there was a swarm cluster whatever, of earthquakes about, like, a month ago. And they were pretty good. Um, I have a friend that lives, like, right on top of the epicenter. And she said, like, her kids were up all night. She said it sounded like something was, like, slamming into their house all night long. I think there was, like, eight quakes that they felt. Um And so it's been kind of weird. It's been on the news. And then the same thing happened. So we were in that thunderstorm during that time. And it had been thundering a little bit because it had just started to rain and then the rumble started and the thing that we've trained ourselves to do because after that last all those events in 2011 is you look at the ceiling fan and you can tell the difference between the thunder because the thunder doesn't make the ceiling fan move right but like the little pools on the ceiling fan are swaying and it's like we jumped up it was very strong (laughs) like stuff was really rattling um and it was traumatic. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we didn't get nearly that much over here, of course, uh, but we did get, you know, doors rattling and s- some creaking sounds. But you're tens of miles, and we're many hundreds of miles <laughs> <Yes>. from, <laughs> yeah, from where the earthquake was.
0: Exactly. It was. Um, so I instantly got onto the USGS site, which is, you know, exactly what I did in 2011. All year, it felt like right. Um, to get on there. And it took a while for it to show up because there was a cluster of, like, twos that was not associated with this fault system. Although, who knows if it was associated with this event. Uh, and I thought, no, that was much stronger than a two. And then it finally showed up. And Of course, you get on there to look at the little moment tensors and all that stuff because that's what nerds do when earthquakes happen.
1: Exactly. And the next day, I put out a short, a 60-second video on our company channel talking about the earthquake, just the the quick summary of what you need to know about it sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Because there were a lot of questions, and like every time there's an earthquake, I see people saying, we just had an earthquake here. (laughs) And other people saying, well, we had one here, too. No, not (laughs) two. Not two. Not, yeah, there was an earthquake in Oklahoma, and we all felt it.
0: Right, exactly.
1: Uh, so trying to dispel some of that, and actually plotting on Google Earth the location of the 2011 event, which you and I were both very intimately involved with deploying the post-event seismic network.
0: Mm-hmm, yep. A- that event. A lot of field work together right after that. Yeah, that's true.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um and then, and actually, if you, if you look for that earthquake uh, information on it, one of the photos that gets shown all the time is a patched section of road, mm-hmm. where it had cracked the road. Mm-hmm. And I took that photo, so you see my name on there.
0: <laughs> that's awesome.
1: <laughs> it's one of those random, like, this was a random cell phone snap of, that's interesting, that somehow made the news rounds. Oh, that's uh,
0: perfect. <laughs>
1: but... Yeah, so if you plot the two locations on a map view, they're within about 600 feet of each other.
0: That's terrifying because that 5.7 was really big. And so, you know, I was just talking to one of my friends in the USGS, unrelated to any of this, but just talking earlier today about other stuff. And she was like, well, have fun with that. Shouldn't that have already been, you know... All that stress has been relieved on that fault. Now you've got another big 5.1. I said, Wow, thanks for that. <laughs> now I'm going to have more dreams about earthquakes now.
1: Well, if you remember in 2011, it was, I believe, towards the end of October, there was a pretty strong yes. earthquake mm-hmm. from that fault that we all thought, Oh, that was, that was the big, big earthquake. And it turns out it was a foreshock.
0: Yeah mm-hmm exactly and I think that's yeah that's why it was it was really triggered shy I guess after that it was disturbing because I'd never been in an earthquake before and you think living in Oklahoma you're not going to have to deal with something like that um and then it was pretty big uh that one that happened that was the big foreshock I remember my dogs were going crazy And my son was really little and he was sick. And so we were at home and I live in a, um, in a split level. And so the bottom level is kind of like half underground and we're at home on the bottom floor and my dogs are going nuts and I couldn't figure it out. And they were running in circles and they just, they were acting really weird. This is one of those, you know, (laughs) stories that people say, (laughs) but it happened to me. And the dogs were acting really weird. And then that earthquake happened and (laughs) It's a really creepy feeling.
1: It is. And I will say this time, our dogs didn't even wake up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, my dog didn't either. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) This is a separate dog now, and he is not very good at (laughs) at earthquake prediction. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. But this was, you know, everybody's citing the exact depth. Uh, It's like the USGS website says three kilometers depth. And in the... On the 2011 event, I think they finally revised that. Because they're revising the magnitude of the 2011 earthquake up through 2016.
0: Yes, for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. But
1: that one, uh, they they revised it down to 5.2 kilometers. Basically, in the earthquake world, these are shallow, and that's about as far as we go or right. care.
0: I mean, three kilometers is really shallow.
1: Yeah, it's it's far... More shallow than kind of the traditional seismogenic zone.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, we're not on a big, you know, plate margin here.
1: True. Uh, But it is in a fault zone over there called the Wilzetta fault system.
0: And so we didn't know about the existence of the Wilzetta fault system before 2011, right?
1: Uh, We knew it was there.
0: Did we? Because oh, okay.
1: that's why they were injecting <gasps> wastewater there. Oh, that's because right. Because the fault mm-hmm. formed a trap.
0: Yep, that's right. That's right.
1: We knew that it was an ancient fault system. We really didn't know much else about it or that it had the potential to be seismic. <laughs> yeah. Um,
0: we just had a, a colloquium last week talking about um, the seismic events in Kansas, and those are You know, they're just as landlocked as we are, right? Um, And so discussing that, and now they're having a lot of seismic events that are really far from wastewater injection wells. And that's an interesting thing that's happened over time, right? That, um, That wastewater injection that's far away is affecting previously unknown faults, you know, hundreds of kilometers away.
1: Yeah, for sure. And if you look on Google Earth around where these wells are, I mean, you can you can pick out half a dozen wastewater injection sites in oh, 5 mm-hmm. minutes.
0: Yep, exactly. That's my friend that lives north of me. We instantly were texting back and forth about locations and pulling up the well data for who was injecting at that time and all that. So it's really interesting how political earthquakes are here.
1: It is. And you know, luckily, I think there's very little controversy now that wastewater injection can induce earthquakes.
0: Right. I don't think... I mean, that was absolutely not true in 2011. Very uh, controversial. No, there were
1: <laughs> people that lost jobs that probably shouldn't have yeah. over that 100%. earthquake. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: 100%. Which is unbelievable now but absolutely happened then so
1: well i mean it was unbelievable then as well because anybody that knew about the rangeley experiments in colorado
0: exactly it's not the first time it's happened those were decades before this stuff but
1: right um, yes but so that <laughs> there's no debate that now we have to have the question of well what's acceptable Mm-hmm. What's acceptable risk? We have to do something with this wastewater, injecting the wastewater, in this case, down into the Arbuckle formation, and there's this fault zone, the Wilzetta fault zone, that creates a nice trap that we can inject under and keep this nasty stuff stored forever and out of our groundwater.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have
1: to do something with it. So yeah, exactly. How do we want to balance extracting oil and gas versus... The potential to create earthquakes
0: and so you tell me having done rock deformation experiments um we both know people who want to do like real life experiments like the rangely stuff where we inject fault zones and see how much we have to inject into them to make them fail because how otherwise we have to model it right because we need regulation to say, all right, this is the amount of wastewater you can inject or else this fault's going to fail. But How do we figure that out without injecting wastewater and seeing the faults fail on the, you know, on this scale?
1: Right. And you know, the, the 5.7, it did decent amounts of structural damage.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of houses like right on top of it. Right. That, you know, lost lots of their walls and things.
1: Yeah. or, Uh, chimneys and steeples that fell over and fell Mm -hmm. through roofs. Right, yeah. So that's obviously bad. Mm -hmm. But this earthquake, I haven't heard any damage reports.
0: No, I think there was a few, the same sort of things, like bricks and stuff coming off, um, but nothing like last time.
1: So, I mean, is, is that okay?
0: Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know, because like... What if there was someone standing under those bricks and that stuff happens, you know?
1: Yeah. So that that's the difficult political moral question.
0: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And in the current thinking, anyway, well, we don't know what's going to happen. So the Commission for Oil and Gas Conservation uh, said that they wanted operators to begin shutting down injection operations into the Arbuckle immediately. Right. And they are gradually shutting the wells down over the period of, I believe, a couple weeks. Because they said they want to avoid sudden pressure changes that could result in more activity.
0: Which makes sense.
1: Yeah, so... And, you know, you said about the Moment Tensor earlier. The first thing that I did, too, was when this post (laughs) showed up. uh, I looked at the Moment Tensor. And it's a pretty pure... Strike slip.
0: Okay. So explain this beach ball diagram to me. And anyone can go on. So we got very well trained at this in 2011. Go to earthquake.usgs.gov if you ever feel anything, and you can report your earthquake. Um, And so, like, that's what I did was, like, I had my Latin long because I reported feeling it before they had an earthquake to associate with that. But any of these you can use. I get on this website a lot. It's really kind of a cool... It's not kind of. It's an amazing website with a lot of data available about earthquakes everywhere. Earthquakes you can feel, earthquakes you can't feel, because it's really interesting to me to go in and look at just the detected earthquakes that are below the threshold of feeling them, because there's a lot everywhere all the time.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of earthquakes that happen every day that we don't feel. Uh, not only because they're far away, but yeah, because they're very small. And in Oklahoma, it's not uncommon to see a lot of little magnitude one and twos.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, like I so said, there was a cluster that had showed up, um, but I knew that wasn't enough to cause the the shaking that we had felt right then. But eventually, when this did show up on there, you know, and it shows up in red if it's big, and so... Came up in red, and I was like, oh, no, and it's in Prague. Okay, I was feeling just like 2011 all over again. But you can click on this, and you can get so many different things. And we've talked on the show before about the differences between, like, the moment scale and the magnitude scale and the oh, Richter scale.
1: I'll say the fact that I need <laughs> to make another video and send it to every news outlet that says, if you use the word Richter one more time. <laughs> I know. Unbelievable.
0: No, um, but they have these really cool maps. This like, did you feel it map, right? And so this is the community reported intensity map, and then they have shake maps, which are the estimated intensity maps. Um, they have which is more relevant for larger earthquakes, like estimated economic loss, ground failures, like should you expect landslides or liquefaction? What is interesting to me is this aftershock forecast.
1: I cannot believe they (laughs) can use the word forecast. That shows you how far things have come in the last 10 years.
0: Exactly. Aftershock. So it has the chances of at least one aftershock within the next week. And it shows different magnitudes and your percent chance of getting another aftershock. Because We're still in the 32% chance of a magnitude 3 aftershock.
1: It seems quite reasonable.
0: Yeah, and it seems like that's going to be scary. Um, we have a 4% chance of a 4. Um, but then there's also like nearby seismicity. This one's really cool. This is a fairly newish feature, I think. Um, and nearby in time or in space or in just magnitude. But then there's the beach ball.
1: Yeah. yeah, the moment tensor.
0: Yeah, and so you hear structural geologists talk about beach ball maps all the time.
1: Yeah, so we're looking at the tension and compression axes derived from looking at many arrivals at stations around the earthquake. And what we see are the possible planes of slip of the fault. And it will look, you can look up what it looks like if it's a normal or a thrust or a, in this case, strike slip. If it's strike-slip, you kind of have four quadrants. Two of them are dark and two of them are light. Okay. And basically draw an arrow from the light to the dark quadrant. And that is the direction of motion. But because, well, we have limits of physics. Even as geophysicists, there are limits. We don't get a unique solution, which is your favorite thing to hate <laughs> on about geophysics.
0: Man, you had to say it before I was all prepped and ready to say something.
1: I just got out ahead of it there. You sure did. <laughs> so there are two possible planes of slip. Okay. In this case, it could either be a southwest-northeast-trending plane of slip or a northwest-southeast-trending plane of slip. Okay. So, how do we know which one it is?
0: Mm hmm. We have a few options. Look at everything around it and figure it out that way.
1: Yeah, so (laughs) you can either do some geology, (laughs) gross, (laughs) and know what the strike of faults in that area is, or you can do the geophysicist thing, which is wait a few hours for a bunch of aftershocks to happen. And they'll line up along the sl- plane of slip.
0: Oh, so lazy. <laughs> you
1: know, um, what you mean is so precise.
0: Ah, sorry, that's what I meant to say. Um, So, on this little beach ball, there's, if you click on it, um, it gives you a lot more information about the moment tensor. But there's a T and a P. I'm guessing that doesn't mean temperature and pressure.
1: No, it's the tension and compression.
0: Ah, there you go. Okay. Tension and yeah, and it gives you
1: some some more information on what those nodal planes are. Uh, so in this case, it's you know a strike of thirty, a dip of eighty one, so very nearly straight up and down. Yeah, uh, a rake, the movement of one sixty two. Uh, so those are those are called the principal axes, the T and P. And then yeah, there's some other. Yeah, it was a 5.06 magnitude by this calculation. It's the W phase moment tensor is what was used. Oh, okay. And it had a solution of 11 kilometers depth.
0: Oh, so what does that mean if that's that deep?
1: Uh, it probably wasn't. We're, we're looking at, um, you know, we're using the local magnitude and a local velocity map for getting... The actual magnitude, like if you look at what type of magnitudes being reported, it's ML, which is local okay. magnitude. Okay. And this is a W phase magnitude, so okay. it's it, the location and all that's not what we're focused on here. We're focused on getting the motions.
0: Okay. And this is your good old friend, the stereo net, so, you know, they're important.
1: They are. And, you know, you should know how to do them, right?
0: You should know how to do them. You even need them in PMAG, unfortunately. <laughs> yes. I don't know why I say that. I think they're actually very cool. It's like the weirdest, trickiest thing. It's such a hard thing to understand, but then when you understand it, you realize how magical stereographic projections are. <laughs>
1: Yes, I think they're taught in not a great way. but that's they're, never,
0: they're never taught well. That is correct, because they're so difficult to understand. <laughs> right. But they're worth it, kids. You should figure that out.
1: So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically what we know about the earthquake, mm-hmm. is it had a, a very wide felt zone. It's kind of fun, because you don't even have to look at the aftershocks, which there have been about 55 as of this recording.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, to know the, which of the planes, which of the, the, the nodal planes is correct. Because you can see and Did You Feel It map that the energy projects to the northeast.
0: That direction. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. So you can, you can confirm the nature of slip in multiple ways very quickly.
0: Mm, uh-huh. See, so they have a link on here to the Oklahoma Seismic Network. Um, which obviously they're, the Oklahoma Geological Survey is very busy deploying a bunch more nodes out in this direction. Um, but they have a very detailed interactive map here, and you can clearly see that northeast-southwest lineament associated with that Wilzetta fault zone. Right. So it's it's cool because you can see, yeah, wow, I never thought about being that lazy and just looking at that. <laughs>
1: I mean, that's—so if you kind of sort of rule of thumb, though, these weird intercontinental small quote-unquote earthquakes, Uh you can't always do this. But basically, the aftershocks, where they are, is going to fill in the area that was the area that slipped in the main shock.
0: Ah, okay.
1: So if you want to know how big of an area slipped— Wait a while for the aftershocks, draw a circle around it, and that's about the area that slipped during the main shock, probably.
0: This is a pretty big area right
1: now. It is, and I haven't done the math, though I should. It would be kind of a fun exercise uh, to see, because there's a trade-off of slip versus area when you're getting magnitude. So you can either have a small patch that slips a lot, or a big patch that slips a little and get the same magnitude.
0: Oh,
1: Okay. I mean, there are limits because, well, you can't, you can't slip something, you know, the size of a washing machine, three meters and have everything around it remain undeformed.
0: Still, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
1: So there are continuum mechanics things (laughs) that happen. Pesky physics. Uh, But, yeah, you can, you can get an idea and, yeah, just taking a look, like, I mean, it's like six kinda...
0: kilometers or something like that.
1: Well, okay, so I'm going to look at the road network and say, let's say that's a one-mile grid. It's probably not a bad guess, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I'm looking at, yeah, three miles mm-hmm. length. So yeah. it'd be fun to do the math and see, assuming some depth of of slip, uh, how much the slip had to be and there are lots of games you can play with that
0: oh i love that there are people that listen to a podcast where we say things like it'd be fun to do the math (laughs) it's true it is true it is very true you'd be very happy my daughter is very excited about math and talks about doing math all the time so maybe i'll get her on some earthquake math (laughs)
1: Well, and I'm interested, you know, looking at the aftershock map, there's almost a second zone of slip.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. On the northeast tip. Yeah. There's been a pretty decent clustering of larger aftershocks Mm -hmm. at the the northeast tip. threes. And, you know, that has something to do with when an earthquake happens, we change the stress state everywhere around it. It's called Coulomb stress change. Mm Mm-hmm. And we can trigger other faults nearby. We can trigger different segments of the same fault. Uh, lots of things happening. And there would be aftershocks from something like this for years.
0: Yeah, exactly. They're very small. I mean, these ones that happened in Edmund, just north of Oklahoma City, I mean, there's a 4.3, a 4.1, you know, a 2.6, a 3.2. Those are a pretty good cluster.
1: Yeah, and those... Are trending to the northeast southwest line, so different fault northwest up there.
0: northwest southeast. Or, yes, north northwest yeah. southeast. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: but they're trending an opposite way. But it's also got a very clear trend.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, very clear. Yeah, it's very interesting. And then there's these little ones that have happened, all also well some. Bigger little ones in the past seven days, too, to the um, southwest of Norman. They're down around Amber, but there's not a lot of trend to that cluster. So I'd be very interested to know what the what's happening with the well situation down there to cause that cluster. And they're little bitty ones. Probably no one even felt most of them, but there's a two, too. Yeah, probably not. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, you'd have to be right on top of it and dead still at night.
0: Right, exactly, to be able to fill that. But
1: There's a little cluster down by Lawton as well, mm-hmm. uh, down by Ketchum Ranch, but again, they're all, I think the biggest down in that cluster is about two and a half, and that's been in the last month.
0: Yeah. It's very, yeah, I can get lost in these maps for quite some time, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah.
1: Yeah, and also there's been a couple of off-trend earthquakes in in the Prague area as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A, a few miles off to the sides of the fault. Probably some uh, in echelon faults there.
0: That are just lined up that are moving too. Yeah. That's weird. What do you think goes into this forecast?
1: Uh, I mean, it's. I, I'm sure there's some more sophistication, but I'm sure it is a more sophisticated version of the typical aftershock decay sequence. Okay. Logarithmic in number and magnitude.
0: Okay. Because that is a very interesting thing to put out there, you know?
1: Yeah. Hmm. But, I mean, you can figure you'll have, you go down a magnitude, you'll probably have 10 times more kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's- Ish. Again, these are all very rule of thumb. <laughs> The, the the true seismologists that are studying earthquakes in detail are unhappy right now.
0: Not doing those things. <laughs>
1: but these these are the uh earthquakes. earthquakes. Yeah. <laughs> but play the seismologists at night sometimes.
0: Oh, that's great. I mean this feels like the geologist's rule of thumb for all this stuff too, you know. We're not do the math, we'll just I, I... use these. <laughs> Rules
1: of thumb. I don't know if geologists would even count them. They would just go, there are tens of earthquakes.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, you're right. That's exactly what they do. We don't have time. But yeah, for... so that's,
1: that's kind of what happened. Uh, it's been a very interesting evolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, everybody over here that felt it, there was an immediate, like, oh, we just had an earthquake. And then within 12 hours, everybody forgot it had happened.
0: I, I had forgot it had happened. <laughs> for how traumatic I feel like those 2011 ones were, like I feel like we were always waiting for the next one because there were quite a few, you know, fours in that situation for a while. Um, and then I got to work and I heard like excited talking and I'm like, what's going on? And then I remembered, oh, yeah, we had like a geological event. <laughs> so it was um yeah it was very interesting
1: yeah but on the don't panic scale i'll give it a a three
0: (laughs) the definitely panic scale or the don't panic scale (laughs) Uh,
1: well it could be either one because i haven't defined the bounds oh that
0: is true that is very true yeah um i'm sure we'll have something to say about the atmospheric river event that's going on in California for the next definitely panic segment, um, but that, that situation is still ongoing as of this recording. So a different type of extreme event dealing with waves as well.
1: And the last thing I want to share about this is I sent you a sequence of radar images.
0: Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. I have them.
1: So these are weather radar images over the area. The first image is before the earthquake. The second image was captured right after the earthquake. And the third image was a while after. And the area circled on those images is the rough area of slip. Plus a little. Okay. The, the the impacted area. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you see?
0: Yeah, there's a lot of clear air noise out in front of that. That wasn't there in the... Like, a lot of reflections. I mean, they're really low, yes. lo- really low decibels, but, like, a lot of reflections that weren't there before.
1: Do you have any ideas?
0: Uh, birds. Um... They're birds.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's all they, the birds that got scared out got of the trees shaken. by the earthquake. They
0: were all sleeping, <laughs> and they got shaken yep. out of the trees. Oh, my gosh. but you
1: see it on weather radar I
0: thought that might be it but then I thought no way there's no way oh poor babies
1: (laughs) (laughs) and then you see about you know half an hour later they calm back down
0: (laughs) (laughs) that makes me so sad (laughs) (laughs) they all got woken up so that's the coolest thing to me when I learned that out in front of really big gust fronts how you'll see that reflection in the radar and it's not rain it's bugs
1: yeah, getting swept up in the gust front.
0: Yeah, unbelievable. So Those poor little birds waking up. Oh man. Hmm.
1: Also, you want to know where the most intense shaking was? Well, there it is. Right on in the weather radar. In
0: the bird map on the weather radar. <laughs> That's unbelievable. I can't wait to show this to everybody now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but uh, I think with that, it's time to move on to everybody's favorite segment of the show, Fun Paper Friday.
0: Yay. I got this one just for you.
1: (laughs) I'm so excited.
0: (laughs) An extremely short proof of the hairy Ball theorem by Peter McGrath. (laughs) This is a real thing. It's a real theorem. It's a real thing. Um, So I've been getting in my Google, you know, for you things, some really weird physics stuff lately. (laughs) And that sent me down a rabbit hole of funny physics theorems and the hairy ball theorem is one. But it makes sense, right? So correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) You know, if you have something like a spherical object and it's full of hairs... So, if you got this tennis ball and all its hairs are the same length, like, you can never, like, lay down the hairs all the same way, right? You're always going to have a divergent, well, essentially a cowlick, right?
1: Yeah. So, if if you want to approach it from the math side, <laughs> and this will be the field of topology.
0: Right. So, the shapes of stuff? Uh, Sort of. Yeah. Sort mm-hmm. of. Um.
1: So you could say something to the effect of if you have a vector field which is tangent to the surface of a smooth object, there is a point where the vector magnitude must be zero.
0: So your bald spot. That's the fancy way to describe a bald spot.
1: Or the hair is ticking up.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: But okay, this this is funny and all. But why does it matter?
0: Why does it matter? I imagine there's some kind of weird manufacturing thing, right?
1: I don't know. Um, Oh, really? Oh, But there's some weird, like, you know, we live on a ball things. That too. (laughs) Yeah. So we live on the earth and the wind is basically tangent to the surface of the earth, except for very extreme localized cases, right?
0: Or downburst. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what you're right. talking about.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, there are updrafts and downbursts, and there are large up and down wellings with yeah. you know, Hadley cells and this sort of thing. But okay, on In on general, average,
0: meridional flow. The
1: wind is tangent to the surface.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That means that there must be somewhere where there is a zero wind velocity on Earth always, where the
0: wind is not blowing. It's Earth's cowlick of wind. <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. Huh. So what does this proof say? It is really short.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, that's it's what one of it those says. proofs which I actually kind of like. Uh, you say, like, suppose <laughs> that this isn't true, and then we show that everything breaks down.
0: Ah, mm-hmm. that's kind of cool.
1: Um, but the theorem that we're trying to pose or, propose or um, prove here so, I had said earlier something about tangent, yada yada. If you want to get more formal, mathy, Please. suppose vector field V is a continuous vector field on S squared or a unit sphere. sphere. Let's say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A sphere.
0: Yeah.
1: Something that is a member of the three dimensional real space. We don't want to get any of that imaginary stuff here. Ugh. And it has to be a continuous field, note. Uh, okay. Then there is a point, which is an element. On s squared means it's it's on that surface mm-hmm. that the value of that vector at that point must it's be zero.
0: It's cool,
1: and it's not only a sphere. The unit sphere is the easy thing to prove, but topology is cool because we can then, through topology uh, theorems and lemmas, you know things that we can step on basically to prove other things. <laughs> Say, well, anything that can be smoothly deformed into a sphere, this holds.
0: Mm. Which so is, if you don't
1: have to cut it. The, a donut cannot be smoothly deformed into a sphere. No, but we, the, we'd have to cut and stitch.
0: So the Earth has to be smoothly deformed into a sphere because we know it's not actually shaped like a sphere. It's gross. Right. Or in real life, a
1: cylinder, <laughs> or a banana, or. Mm. Uh, well, a foot's a bad example because there's toes. A, a foot without toes. <laughs> but no, the toes are okay unless... Yeah, you don't have to do any stitching.
0: It depends on... Yeah, I'm, I will tell you that I'm going to spend the next week trying to deform a banana into a sphere.
1: <laughs> Compressed air. Smoothly, uh, smoothly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and they'll say, what are you doing? I'm like, "Harry ball theorem with this banana. I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so that is, that is the summation of the Harry Ball theorem, which is a funny-sounding thing, but is actually a pretty important proof when you're dealing with vectors in three-dimensional space on surfaces.
0: Excellent. And I appreciate that this was a page and a paragraph. Thank you, Peter right. McGrath. <laughs>
1: well, if you have your own application of the Harry Ball theorem that you would like to share... We'd love to hear it. Shannon, how can they get a hold of us?
0: Our new email, if you've missed it, is now don'tpanicgeocast at gmail.com. You can maybe send us those photos on Twitter at geo underscore Lehman, at Shannon Doolin, and together we are at don'tpanicgeo. And as always, thank you to our Patreon supporters. You can support us too, patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo.
1: Until next week, remember